Amen. Thank you, Alice. Over this past month, Pastor Sylvester has been leading us through a series uh, with really focusing on difficult conversations with Jesus. One of the things that um, helps us believe that, or help, helps us know that the Bible and what is written there is true, is the fact that Jesus is recorded as saying very, saying very difficult things, things that you wouldn't want to hear if you were trying to start, start up a, a new religion. But Jesus says some very challenging messages, ideas that we have to wrestle with. And so we've been wrestling with those for the past month. Um, Sylvester started off with looking at the cost of being a disciple. And that being a Christian is costly. Um, it can be painful. It, it takes almost everything that we have to follow Christ. And then we went and we looked at uh, what it means to seek and save the lost. And looking at the lost coin that the, the woman couldn't find. She had ten and she lost one. And she turned her house upside down until she found it. Signifying to us really the idea of seeking the lost in our lives. And are we really working hard to find those who don't know Christ in our community, in our area? Then last week we looked at the parable of the shrewd servant, which I'll get into. And then this week we look at this parable that Alice just read for us. So as we get started, let us start with prayer as we wrestle again with a difficult conversation that, that Jesus is having here. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illuminate this to us. Just as I asked or told the third graders to do, Lord, we come to you. And uh, we know that uh, this is hard, this is difficult, but you have it in there for a reason for us. And so, Lord, be with us this morning as we wrestle with your word. Amen. This parable is uh, it's one of those, as I told the third graders, you want to open up your Bible and you want to probably put some questions down by this one or some comments, uh, things maybe that you don't even like, because it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It, it really starts with um, the, this juxtaposition. And we're going to see this, this juxtaposition of the world as we see it, the world as we live in it, and God's kingdom. And how God is calling us to live and how God's kingdom will eventually come down here on earth. But to, before we get to it, let me give you a little bit of context because the way what's happening here is Jesus started off by teaching his disciples and, he, and he's teaching them the parable of the shrewd manager, which is what Sylvester talked about last week. And in essence, that parable, Jesus was, in, was telling his disciples uh, is kind of an odd parable where he, the, the main character in the parable is praising this manager who um, cheated him money, but he did it in such a shrewd, wise way. And then he tells the disciples, we want you to be as shrewd as this manager was. In essence, he's saying, do you see how wise and how smart and how shrewd and how cunning the world is at making money and saving up for, for the future? And if you think about it, this world is really, really good at making money. Learning how to make money at the cost and the expense of other people. And then Jesus turns it on, on its head and says to his disciples, I want you to be just as wise and just as shrewd and just as cunning when it comes to using your money for the kingdom of God. I mean, let me just, I mean, this isn't the point of the sermon, but let's just ask a question here. What if we as individuals worked as hard and as wisely to spend our money for the kingdom of God, to, to bring people to Christ as we do, to try to not spend any more money on our taxes than possible. 
right? Like, do we need to hire someone to be like, hey, how can I best spend my money for God, right? So that's the context. And that, so as Jesus is selling, saying this parable, some Pharisees overhear this and begin to mock Jesus. And Jesus ends that teaching with this parable. And he says this, he goes, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Other translations say you cannot serve God and mammon, another term for money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money, or the Pharisees who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at Jesus. This idea of you cannot serve God, you cannot love God and love money at the same time. This is what prompts this next story where the Pharisees scoff at Jesus and mock him. And so Jesus says, okay, well, let me tell you another story. There was a certain rich man and a certain poor man named Lazarus. Now, this parable is unique in the, in the sense that it's the only parable that Jesus teaches where he actually names somebody in it, which leads some scholars to believe that these could actually have been real people that they would know of. And whether they were or not, I think Jesus had a very important reason for using the name Lazarus. It was, it was a fairly common name back then. But he starts off by saying there's this rich man who uh, in his life, it says that this man dressed with rich purple, which was a very expensive dye, the color of royalty or, or someone high, in high standing. And he was dressed in fine linen. And the, the, word, uh, the Greek word that is used for linen here actually um, is the word that would that is used for the linen that the Egyptians would use to wrap their mummies. So it's almost like saying, here's this rich man who has all these things, but he's kind of like a dead man already. It's not a good sign for this rich man. But this rich man, it said this was his custom to dress this way, and he lived luxurious, luxuriously all of his days. Every single day he went out and he li lived an exceedingly um, splendorous life, basically. A brilliant light, a shining light is how uh, ways you can interpret that word. That he partied it up every single day. And he let the whole world see how good he had it. And then there's this beggar sitting at the gates of his house. And the, the Greek there, if you want to get into it, it says that he's more thrown or cast aside there. He didn't choose to be there. He had nowhere else to be. He was cast aside, and he is this beggar covered with sores. And he said he was there at the gate wanting to at least get the scraps from this rich man's table, right? We, we know that saying, it's like a dog, right? The dog who, I don't know about you, but I have a dog who all we eat just loves to just keep going through our legs to get the scraps, the crumbs that fall, Right? On the story says that even the dogs went and licked this man's wound. That he was even below the level of a dog. Two men. At the two far extremes, right? And then we have Lazarus dying. And we begin to see a picture that Jesus was painting out of the afterlife. And it's consistent with what the Jewish people believed of a place called Sheol. Um, the Greek translates, uh, translates this word as Hades. 
And this place of Sheol really consisted of two, of two places in the afterlife. It was a, the abode of those of the unrighteous dead, the, the place where people who did not follow God went. And then there was another place where the people, a uh, place of righteousness where the people who followed God went. And so we see here that Lazarus died. And he was, it says when he died, he was carried by angels to Abraham's side, to his bosom, in fact, which was a phrase saying a place of honor to a place of paradise, to a place of a big banquet. So we go again, this juxtaposition of the rich man who was at a banquet every single day to now Lazarus who had nothing gets carried up into this lavish banquet as a place of honor right next to Abraham. And then when the rich man died, it's interesting because it says he was buried. It didn't say Lazarus was buried. It says he was buried and then he went into Hades, into Sheol. The sense of one being carried up, the other one being brought down, right? And here is this rich man in torment, in anguish. In fact, if you get into the Greek here, you see that it is the same word that is used for great sorrow and great grief. He was tormented. And it must have been hot when it talks about he was in anguish in these flames, but he, he cries out. He sees Abraham over the gulf with Lazarus by his side, and he cries out saying, just have Lazarus come over, not even with a cup of water, just a, a, a little dropper to put on my tongue that might help ease the pain a little bit. And, and there's so much into this parable, I can't get into it, um, such as a question I have is, why didn't the rich man ask to actually leave? That's for another day. But he asked for Lazarus to come to him to ease his pain. And Abraham re replies, he says, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. So the first reason is, you are getting what you deserve. You are getting what you deserve. You had everything in your life. And so you don't get anything more. Lazarus had nothing and now look to see what he is getting. And the second reason is this. He says there is a gulf, a chasm in between these two areas in the afterlife that no one can cross over. Abraham saying, even if I wanted to send Lazarus, I couldn't. Even if I wanted to bring you up, I couldn't. There's this chasm that no one can bridge. No one can bridge. And we begin to see this picture of God's upside-down kingdom. This upside-down kingdom. The, the next response that the rich man has, he says, Abraham, if you can't send someone over to me to ease my pain, would you please at least send Lazarus to my father's home because I have five brothers and I want them, I don't want them to come here, so I want them to repent. So would you please send Lazarus there as a witness, as a testimony about what happens after you die? And it's interesting that he uses the word Repent. I want my brothers to repent. He doesn't say, I don't want my brothers to be here, so let them go sell all their money and give to the poor. He doesn't say that. He says, I want them to repent. 
Now, this is a very specific word that Jesus uses because John the Baptist, if you remember, when before Jesus was born um, or before Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist led and said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus preaches this message of repentance. That the idea here of repentance is not just to necessarily do good works or whatnot. It's to turn towards God, to turn away from whatever you're doing in your sinful life and to turn towards God. Say, my, my brothers don't know God and they need to know God. Have Lazarus go to, to them, to witness to them, to speak to them. Because there's something about being in God's presence for all eternity and not being in God's presence for all eternity. We see these glimpses of this upside-down kingdom where Lazarus, who had nothing, who was below the level of dogs, is now exalted among many up in heaven. He is at this banquet for all eternity instead of living a life that the rich man did where he was living nicely for many days, but not eternity, right? This upside-down kingdom where the lowly are elevated, the last will be first. Those who give up this world will gain a kingdom. And those who lose their lives for Christ will find it. This is a kingdom that we don't understand here. Our culture doesn't get. We say that we should work and we should get and we should gain. We should seek for our comforts. Seek to be happy. Seek for our pleasures. And Jesus says, if you seek for those things in this life, that's all you're going to get. But if you seek for me in this life, you will get those and much more in heaven. And I want you to be clear here. This is not a parable or a sermon of the church or me asking you to give to the church. I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for money. Really what this message is about is about how you are using your money for the kingdom of God. How are you using your possessions for the kingdom of God? How are you using your blessings in whatever form for the kingdom of God? Remember Jesus' first statement before this all got started, you cannot love God and money at the same time? Because the reality is this, friends. The love for money pushes out our love for God. The love for money pushes out our love for God. God doesn't ask us to give a tithe because he needs the money. He asks us for a tithe to say, do you love me more than money? Because if we love money more than we love him, then we also love money more than we love our neighbors. You know, the first two commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The thing is, when we start losing our love for God, we start losing our love for people. And money, in, in its essence, pushes away our love for God. The rich man had all this money. He had all this stuff. What he did not see was Lazarus at his gates. 
What he did not care about was Lazarus at his gates because his love for money, his love for pleasure, his love for comfort blinded him to see it. Blinded him. To help us understand this, if we hear the, the message from Matthew 25 when Jesus is saying a parable of where he is separating the sheep from the goats and he, so he gathers, uh, uh, this is again a picture of eternity, he gathers everyone in and he begins to separating and those on his right, the sheep, he said, uh, they're like, why, why are we here? And it's like, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was sick, you took care of me and when I was in prison, you visited me. It's not about, not, it's not like God is saying you can't have money. He's saying, what are you doing with your money to love the least of these? Are you using your money to feed the hungry, to give thirst to those who are, or water to those who are thirsty, to, to clothe those who are naked, to, to visit and, and be with those who are lonely? We are called to take the blessings that we have received, the gifts, the talents, and to use those for God's kingdom. The danger is, the temptation is, when we get those things, we want to hold on to them because we're afraid we will lose them and then we'll have nothing. The danger is once we get those things, it's never quite enough, so we keep needing to figure out how to get more and get more, and we can be really shrewd and wise and cunning in how to increase our wealth and our blessing. Yet Jesus calls us as the church to receive the blessings he has given us so that we can give them away. So that we can give them away. I believe that when those who are desperate in this world cry out to God, God wants first to send out his church to meet those prayers. It's why he has created the church, why he has blessed the church, that we might go out and be Jesus' hands and feet to our community. So that when people cry out, when there are Lazaruses at our gates, we will see it, we will hear it, and we will come and say, we have been given this, let me give this to you. You're homeless, let's figure out a place to stay. If you're hungry, let's give you some food. If you're struggling in financial debt, let's see what I can do to help you out. Whatever the blessing, whatever the gift is, I don't know what you have, but God's given you something. Are you holding on to it? Trying to use it for your pleasure, for your gain, or are you trying to leverage it for the kingdom of heaven? God's upside down kingdom, where the first will be last, or I mean, the last will be first, the lowly lifted up, the lost are going to be found. Those who seek comfort now will mourn, and those who mourn now will find comfort, and those who hold on to what they have will lose it. But those who give, will receive in abundance. And 
Now, some of you might be out there saying, oh, that's well and good, and I know, Michael, that you say that I've been given things, but I tell you what, right now I feel way more like Lazarus than I do that rich man. I've been trying and trying and trying, and it feels like this world has just been beating me down and beating me down, and I'm sitting there covered in whatever sores those are, whether those are emotional scars or physical scars or financial scars, whatever it might be, and you're like, I am uh, like Lazarus, and I'm crying out, and I don't feel like anybody can listen to me, can hear me. I want you to hear the promise of God's kingdom. And this is Matthew 19. Peter says to Jesus, we have given up everything to follow you. And the disciples did. What will we get? And Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, when the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne. Again, the picture that we see in the, the, this parable of the rich man and Lazarus with this great heavenly banquet up there. It says, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Anyone who gives up anything for me will receive a hundred times. God is a faithful God. He is a God of abundance. He is a generous God. And he is asking us now to live in this upside down kingdom of his. The world chases after these things, but we are supposed to chase after the people of this world so that they might know the love of Christ. He said, don't worry, you can give it all away and I will take care of you and you'll be blessed for all eternity. It is hard, I'll tell you, it is hard to be heavenly minded when it comes to money and stuff and security and possessions and all that. We're afraid that if I give everything away that I'm going to be just like Lazarus and I'm just going to be a burden on society. I'm going to have nothing. And so I want to hold on to it. My friends, I don't have an answer of how you should give away your blessings, how you should love other people. I know this, though, that God is faithful. He is faithful, and he promises that you will be taken care of in his upside-down kingdom. I know on my part, I find so much more joy in life when I give rather than when I hold on to things. When I hold on to things, I live a life of fear, not wanting to let go, not wanting to be in want. But when I live a life where I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to let go and I'm going to bless other people and I'm going to live on the joy that other people get when I go and I love and I serve them and I give to them. And I, I guarantee you that I would live much, uh, uh, that I do live a much happier life than the rich man in all his splendor. God is faithful and he is bringing this upside down kingdom and he is asking us to lead it into this world. Jesus ends that Matthew 19 section where he says, for anyone who gives a property or anything for me will receive a hundred times as much in return and I will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem the least important now will be the greatest of them. 
Isn't that the rich man and Lazarus? I am curious. I don't know if curious is the right word. I'm interested to know when I get to heaven who I'm going to see up in Jesus' bosom, basically. He'd be like, I didn't think you were anything down on earth, but look at where you are now. And I'll be like, what is your story? What did I miss? I don't know how this plays out in your life. I do know that eternity is a little bit longer than now. And I want to be heavenly minded when it comes to this. I don't want to miss Lazarus at my gate. And so I have to check myself. It, are my possessions, are the, me chasing after the things of this world blinding me from seeing the hurting, the helpless, the lonely at my gate that I need to be going out and reaching out and loving? As we come to an end, I want to look at the, the other request and the warning that is given here. The rich man, when he could not get Lazarus to come to him, and then when he could not get uh, um, Lazarus to send to his brothers, he says, you know, send Lazarus to my brothers. And Jesus' response was this. He said, if the brothers don't know by reading the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament of our Bible, he says, if they can't figure it out by that, Sending Lazarus to them won't, won't do anything. And, and the rich man says, no, but, but if a dead man rises from the grave, they'll get it. Like, you know, they, they've read all that stuff, but it didn't, it, it, they didn't quite get it. But if a dead man comes and says this is true, they will for sure repent. And Jesus' response was, even if a dead man rises from the grave, if they didn't believe the law and the prophets, they won't get it. I said that Jesus had a reason for using the name Lazarus. Well, I think that's because two weeks later, after Jesus shares this parable, Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. Do you think the Pharisees who were gathered around there remember this parable? When this parable of this, this beggar Lazarus who was supposed to come back from the dead to warn the brothers, right? And here's this man named Lazarus. It wasn't the same situation. He wasn't a beggar. But here's this man named Lazarus that Jesus brings up from the, from the grave, gives him back his life. And you know what these Pharisees' response was to Lazarus? It wasn't, oh my gosh, the, the law and the prophets are real. There's true. We should follow this Messiah, this Jesus. We should, not, we should stop living for the things of this world, stop loving money, and instead repent and love God. That's not how they responded, even when a dead man rose from the grave. The response was, now they're going to try to kill Jesus. Because Jesus is getting in the way of their comfy way of life. This is difficult scripture. Because for some of you out there, you might be sitting there and feeling more like the Pharisees. Well, you're, you're doing pretty good where you're at. And you don't want Jesus to come in here and shake up where you're at because you love your things and your pleasure and your position more than you love God. 
And so the same call as was put out by the rich man in Hades, the same call I give you, repent. If you love the things of this world more than you love God, that is all you are going to get, and it won't even be that satisfying. It might fill you up for a time, but never, never fully satisfying. Instead, my call to all of us in here so let's again, once, once again, repent and come back to God and say, God, I want to love you more than I love the stuff that I have. God, I want to love you because I know that there are people out there like Lazarus that are crying out that we are supposed to go help and you have blessed me so that I can bless them and I'm not doing it. Man, this is a tough message. Might be thinking, hey, I should have just stayed at home today. But I want, you to, I want you to see this. The reality is that there is this upside down kingdom that is glorious, that is filled with love, that is filled with justice. And we are called to not only be a part of it, be the front runners of it in this world. And when we do that, it turns this world, it can turn this community on its head. And people won't know what to do with the type of love that we dish out. How is it that we can just so generously keep giving and keep giving and keep giving? Don't they want the things of this world? Our response was, no, we want you to know Jesus more than the things of this world. If we live for God and his kingdom, our families, our schools, our workplaces, our communities begin to get flipped on their head. And true joy and love and life begin to fill this community more than ever. Friends, let us, with open hands, receive God's blessings. Not so that we can hold on to them for ourselves, but that they can pour through us into the Lazaruses at our gates, those who are lost, those who are sick, those who are in need. Let us be Christ's hands and feet. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us, pour out your blessings upon us. Bless us abundantly, not that we can be a great church on top of a hill, that we can go out into the community and we can love and serve. Lord, open our eyes to the Lazaruses at our gates that we might see the need and then use the blessing you've given us to meet those needs. Lord, Lord, let us live for you, give for you, that we might find life in you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.